There we go. So words make a really big difference, don't they? The way that we speak to other people, the way that people talk to us, it makes a huge difference. I mean, when we use our words for good, when we use our words to inspire people, man, the world just changes, doesn't it? I think of some words that have been used in history that have really made a great difference, pushed back the darkness, made humanity better. I think of things like the Declaration of Independence, right? Let me read just the first line of this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Wow, right? Martin Luther King, I have a dream. How powerful is that? There's a movie that came out about 10 or 12 years ago called The Pursuit of Happiness. And in it, it details the journey of a man named Chris Gardner. Now, Chris Gardner started out very poor, very, very much having nothing, very destitute. And it was him and his son together. And at a certain point in the movie, he has this fantastic speech he gives to his son. Let's check it out together. Hey. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. All right? All right. You got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. want something, go get it. Period. Man, that just fires me up watching that. Doesn't it fire you up too? Just want to go get something, right? The challenge with words, though, is as easily as they can encourage, they can do damage, right? Words can be used to destroy people. I was reading a blog this week, and I found this post. And this author of this blog post, he gave some examples of words that tear people down. Let me read a few of them to you here. When other kids call you fat. When that boy dumped you for no reason. When your dad called you stupid. When you received the letter of rejection, when your boss told you that you were fired, when someone told you that your cancer is God's will. When your wife asked you when you're going to get a real job. If we're going to be God's people, if we're going to be the hands and feet of Christ in a hurting and broken world, then our words matter. The way that we use our words. And today as we continue in our series called Faith That Works, James is going to lean in hard to the topic of words and our tongue and how that interacts in the world. And today, he really goes there. I mean, if you've been with us through this series over the past six weeks, he has hit us in some tough places, hasn't he? 
The book of James is not for the faint of heart, but today he really goes there. And he pounds this issue over and over and over again. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We'll be in James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can check out a purple chair in front of you, or there should be Bibles provided on the stools if you're sitting at a stool. You can also follow along on the screens behind me if you like. Starting in verse 1 of James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by such strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image, God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So again, today, James is really making it personal. He hits this topic over and over and over again. And even though we think that sometimes our words may not matter, that sometimes when we, when we say that one little thing, it's not going to really hurt that bad, or maybe this would be really funny if I said that, James gives us a really stern warning that our words have the potential to create disaster. So what we're going to do today is we're going to really dive into this text, and then after that, we're going to lean into what does the sin of our tongue look like? What are the things that really catch us in the wrong kind of way. So let's look back at verse 1. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So James begins with saying that teachers are people that are going to be held to a higher standard than people who are not teachers. Now this makes sense in a lot of ways because teachers are influencers. They're people that make a difference in people's lives, hopefully for a positive but sometimes also for a negative. I can think of one teacher in particular that made a huge impact on my life. His name was Mr. Edwards. He was my high school band director. And I can remember during those formative years in high school, Mr. Edwards coming up to me a number of times and encouraging me and spurring me on, but not just being soft on me. He also challenged me. His words made a lasting impression in my life. But teachers, because they hold such power, there's a warning. Because our tongues, again, can harm people. 
Now, for those of you who are paid professional teachers, and I know we have a few in the room, this applies to you. But even if you're not a paid professional educator, you more than likely are a teacher. If you have children, then you are a teacher. If you have neighbors that you influence, hopefully in a positive way, you're a teacher. If you have people that report to you at your job, you in a sense hold the type of influence that a teacher holds. And so for all of us, I think this is applicable, that we need to be cautious when we are teachers because the way in which we teach makes a difference. It influences the lives of young people. Let's continue in verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now this is sort of the first time that James introduces the topic of what we say mattering, right? This is the first time that he says something. He says, when we use our tongue and we're not at fault, we are then perfect. The idea of perfect here is not perfect in a sense of never making a mistake. It's the sense of being mature. That if we can handle our tongues, then we're mature. And this is a crazy thing to think about. But if we can handle our tongues, then any area of our life can also be handled. So even though it's a small thing, our tongues really matter. It influences the entire rest of our lives. Let's continue. Verses 3 through the beginning of verse 5. James is really going to start hitting it. Here we go. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Whenever the pilot, excuse me, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So James builds a couple of images for us. The first is that of a horse. Now, if you've ever been around a horse, a horse is a really big, really beautiful, really powerful animal. In fact, at top speeds, horses can run 55 miles per hour. That's a lot faster than I can run, right? They can be as heavy as 2,200 pounds. They can carry tremendous amounts of weight. In fact, we actually judge the power of our cars based on horsepower. And yet, to control a horse, it takes a piece of metal about this big that fits right in their mouth. In the same way, our tongue controls everything in our lives. Let's take boats as an example. So, On the screen behind me, you have a picture of the largest cruise ship in history. It's called the Harmony of the Seas. You can see right below it a picture of the Titanic to give you a sense of the scale. It's 1,100 feet long. It was a billion dollars to build. It holds up to 9,000 people between crew and passengers. It is an enormous boat. Now here is a picture of the Harmony of the Seas pulling into port. You can't see it very well, but right across on the shore side, you see parking lots filled with cars. You see, the average car is around 12 to 20 feet long, and the rudder of that ship is only 16 feet long. So, by comparison, the lives of 9,000 people, the investment of a billion dollars, is controlled by something the size of a Ford truck. Again, in the same vein, our tongue, though so small, though so inconsequential, 
has a huge impact on the scope of our existence. And that's what James is saying here. The second half of verse 5 into verse 6 says this, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I really like a different translation of this. This is from the Living Bible Translation. I'm going to read this verse in that particular version. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness and poisons every other part of the body. And the tongue is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. That's heavy. Let's go through this piece by piece. The tongue is a flame of fire. You know, fire has this tendency to consume, to completely eradicate life. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a forest after a forest fire. There's nothing but black and gray. There's no life. There's no flourishing. There's just death. And in the same way, an uncontrolled tongue has the same effect. It is full of wickedness and poisons every part of the body. This is kind of a crazy thing to think about, that the way in which we talk, the way in which we use our, t- use our tongue, has an influence on our own body. It changes the way that we live our lives completely. It doesn't only impact others. It actually impacts us as well. And the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. That just shows how depraved our tongues can be when we use our words inappropriately. It comes from the very epitome of death and separation from God. And it can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. I've seen marriages that have completely collapsed because of words. I've seen families crushed, particularly kids, who are crushed because of the inappropriate use of words by their parents. I've seen people lose their jobs, completely derail their careers because of their words. There was a guy I used to work with, in fact. It was for a very short time. I worked in the insurance business, and this guy was hired, and he was hired for a very desirable territory. And he came in. Within the first week, he was fired because he said something inappropriate to another coworker. Then one week, he was gone. Words, when not checked, can completely unravel our lives. There's a quote from a British politician named Pearl Strachan Hurd, and she says this, Handle your words carefully, for words have more power than atom bombs. And I believe that's true. We can completely derail a person's life with our words. Let's continue. Verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures have been tamed and are being tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I have seen a lot of things that animals can do, right? I mean, have you? Like, you know, you see crazy stuff. You see, like, whales jumping through hoops. You see people 
putting their heads in the mouths of lions. You see people with snakes. Check this out. What is that? I'm really glad that that snake was tame. I'm just telling you. All of these things are tamed, but not our tongues. Not the way in which we speak. Again, James is continuing to pound this idea home. Let's finish up here in verses 9 through 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So my family and I, we, we really like this time of year because we like to pick apples. Does anybody else like to pick apples? We love to go to orchards and pick apples. Now, it's not really weird if you go up to an apple tree and you see two apples that look a little bit different. Like maybe one is a little more ripe than the other. One's a little green and the other one's a little bit, you know, more of a red color. That's not that abnormal. But I've never been out picking apples where I've seen a lemon on an apple tree. Has anybody seen that before? I didn't think so. It's unnatural. That doesn't happen. You don't find lemons on apple trees. And why is that? Because it's an apple tree. In the same way, James is saying, when we are worshipers of God, when we seek him, when our words are used to praise God, it is as unnatural for us to curse human beings as it is to find a lemon on an apple tree. It just doesn't work that way. There was a a little bit more going on historically here as well with what he was writing. You see, in first century Judaism, and it bled into Christianity as well, what would happen is in a worship service, this tradition kind of came out. And what would happen is a rabbi would say God's name, and then people who were really devout would say, blessed is he, as soon as God's name was spoken. And so this really cool kind of aura occurred in these worship times. A rabbi would say God, and it would be Blessed is he, kind of murmured throughout the congregation. And yet what James is saying is that in spite of that, if that's you, you're saying blessed is God. You can't go out and then curse humanity because humanity is made in God's image. You see, you and I, regardless of where you're at, regardless of if you are a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not convinced yet, maybe you've been following Christ your entire life, it doesn't matter where you are, you are an image bearer of God. You were created in his likeness. You were created to be like him. And because of that, James is saying, it is unnatural for us to curse humanity. It's wrong for us to do so. It's kind of the ultimate irony. And we should not do that. Now, James has had a really strong message for us through this, hasn't he? But I want to make it a little more personal. <clears throat> so it's really great to talk about something in abstraction, you know, talking about sins of the tongue. I mean, you know, I, I think we can, we can resonate with that to some degree, and we think, oh, yeah, you know, you do this, do that, or whatever. But let's talk about what those actually look like. i got to be honest with you. The sin of the tongue is something that I struggle with. 
I mean, I, I, I traffic in words. I like to talk. I talk a lot. <laughs> Some of you might know that. The sins of the tongue are something that I easily get drawn into. And as I was working on this section of the message today, I had to step away. I'm just going to be honest with you for a little bit. Because this particular part of the message was really, really tough for me. But I think it's important that we actually understand what it is we're really talking about. What are the sins of the tongue? And so we're going to go through a list of them. This is not necessarily exhaustive, but this is an idea of what some of these are. The first is gossip. Now, we know generally what gossip is. It's talking behind someone's back, particularly with a purpose to try to defame that person. But it has terrible, terrible ramifications for our lives and for the lives of the people involved. And the funny thing is, is we rationalize it. We, we say these silly little things like, you know, I wouldn't normally say this, but have you heard about so-and-so? Have you heard about such-and-such? You know, I know it's not going to go any further than you, so I'm going to tell you. But, of course, it never stops with you. Or this is the one that is probably the most convicting for me. I'm telling you this so that you can pray for this person. But have you heard about so-and-so? Gossip is a terrible sin and is a sin of the tongue continue. The next one is innuendo. So that's the implication of guilt without the proof of it. And it's kind of the passive-aggressive little brother of slander. You know what I'm saying? Like it's implying that somebody did something wrong when maybe they didn't really do it. And this is one that I think we rationalize, right? We say, oh, well, you know, I could see it. I know. Sally, ooh, I could see it. but it has terrible, destructive power in our lives. Flattery is another one. Flattery is this idea that we tell somebody something to pump them up, but the thing is, is that we don't do it for good reasons, right? We pump somebody up only to fill ourselves, only to try to get our selfishness met in some other way. Maybe we want that person to like us. Maybe we want that person to, to give us something, to provide us some kind of future benefit. But flattery is kind of the opposite of gossip. I found this great quote. Gossip is what you would say behind someone's back, but not to their face. Flattery is something you would say to somebody's face, but not behind their back. And isn't that true? It reveals our broken motives. That we want to make ourselves look better. Not that we want to actually honor the other person we're talking to. The next one is criticism. Criticism is where we tear somebody down without an intent to love them, to let them see God through it. Now, I want to make a statement here. I understand that there is a difference between criticism and offering feedback, constructive feedback. But it's all about motivation, right? You see, you can tell somebody, hey, you know, I love you, but hey, you, you got to work on this. you got to change that. This in your life is broken. 
You're going you're gonna to derail yourself if you keep going down this pathway. But see, criticism is different. Criticism is, look how terrible you are. Look how, look how bad you messed this up. And criticism, particularly in family situations, is just a killer. It's just a killer. The last one, this is mine, is sarcasm. Sarcasm is this idea that we try to create humor out of the deprecation of another person. In fact, psychology today says this, sarcasm is actually hostility disguised as humor. But it has terrible effects on people. The word sarcasm actually comes from the Greek word sarcasian. And sarcasian literally means to strip the flesh off of. And isn't that what sarcasm does? Sarcasm just cuts us to the bone. Now, if you feel convicted by this list, join the club. Because I do too. This is heavy stuff. but it doesn't have to be this way. We can use our words to make positive impact in the world, right? Just like in the video clip we saw at the beginning, just like Martin Luther King did when he said, I have a dream. Our words can transform lives if we simply choose to use them in the right kind of way. If we choose to abandon using our words to harm, to hurt, to create devastation. We can be different, church. And how do we do that? Well, we need to use our words well. We need to use our words well. Now, what does that look like? Well, there are several things that I think that we can do in order to press into this idea of using our words well. The first is this. I think we need to ask God to purify us. There's this man in the Old Testament, his name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet. He was a man chosen by God to bring God's message to the Jewish people. And I'm just being honest, I, don't, I wouldn't want that job. Because most of the time, God's message to the Israelite people was not a good one. And at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, we see an interaction of how God called him. And so we're going to pick it up really quickly. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says this, Woe to me, I cried. I am, a ru I am ruined, for I am a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Doesn't that sound so much like us? We live in a world where it's all anger. It's all lip whipping. That's what it's all about in today's world. And I and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, then one of the seraphim, seraphim is a fancy word for angels. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, excuse me, taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So what happens then is God purifies Isaiah's lips. He changes his words. And what happens after that? Let's continue. 
Then, after God had purified him, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. So what happened is a prerequisite for Isaiah being used by God was God purifying his lips. And so that's the first thing I think we can do. We can ask God to purify our lips. Maybe something you need to do today is to do some business with God. Maybe you need to ask him to purify your lips. I would encourage you, after the service, we're going to have people up here to pray with. And I would encourage you, if you feel God convicting you, God pulling at your heart, that you come up to the front, talk to one of these people, help, have them help you pray through what it means to ask God to purify your lips. That's the first thing I think that we can do in our journey toward using our words for good. The second thing that we can do that we need to do is we need to confess when we fail. Again, this is an issue for me. Words are just an issue. I struggle with using them the right way all the time, and I have to confess that. And I think that if we want to be God's people, we need to confess. In a couple of weeks, later on in the book of James, we're going to get to this particular text. James 5, 16, it says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if you want to be healed, if you want to be set free from your sin, a prerequisite for that is confession. It's admitting to it. It's saying, you know what? Yes, God, this is an area I struggle with. Yes, friends, fellow Christians, followers of Christ, I struggle with this. Whatever that might be. And then when we pray together, there is healing. There's life change. One place that I would encourage you to do that is in the context of your life groups. And if you have not signed up for a life group, our sign-ups are the last two weeks, but if you still want to get in one, you can still do that. I would encourage you, come find me. Come find another church leader after the service. Let us get you plugged into a life group. It's a great place for you to confess to one another in a safe place where you can grow, where God can use you. That's the second thing we need to do is confess when we fail. The third thing that we need to do is we need to discipline ourselves. Now, I know this one's super easy, right? I love being disciplined. Who else likes to be disciplined? But when we discipline ourselves in this area, when we press forward and we press into God, we build healthy habits, then God changes who we are, man. And he uses us. I don't know about you, but I really want to be used by God. And I think when we discipline ourselves to use our tongues well, not in a negative way, then God can change us. Maybe for you, if you struggle with using your tongue in a bad way, maybe you need to be involved in a place where you can use your tongue regularly for good things. Maybe being a part of our hospitality team, the people that greet you when you come in the door would be a place that you could start. A place where you could encourage people, whether it's part of your regular rhythm, Maybe serving in our cafe ministry, an area where you're interacting, where you can speak life and joy and peace into people's lives and practice the discipline of using your tongue well. Church, we have an opportunity to change the way that we are, and that registers into forever. That changes the people around us. 
And so instead of using our words to hurt, instead of using our words to harm, to bring disaster, let's commit to using our words for good reasons, for positive, for life change. Because we can do so much, man. I'm telling you. We really can change the world. I mean it. But we have to commit to using our words for good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to give us a hard message sometimes. Lord, this is a tough one for me. And you know that. You know that this is an area I struggle with. But Father, I pray that for all of us, for those in here that struggle with the use of their tongue, I pray, God, that you would just do something really powerful in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. We love you, God. We commit our time to you today. In Jesus' name.